Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. So this morning we are continuing in this series called Rest for the Weary. I know the moms can relate to that. You're tired, you're weary, uh, you need rest. And this morning our topic is actually a little bit different from the rest of the series. Today we're going to talk about others. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are like, finally a sermon that is not about me. Because that pastor is always preaching to me, and today we're finally going to talk about those other people out there. Uh, however, as it works out, we're actually still talking about you, all of you, uh, and we're talking today about the weary and burden that we have for other people. And that's, that's actually good. It can be appropriate. It's healthy that we help carry the burdens of others. But yet, yeah, that also can be something that gets unhealthy. Uh, and can be taken the wrong direction. So we're going to talk about these things this morning uh, as we dive back in the Gospels. We're looking at stories from the Gospels that illustrate these ideas for us uh, in this series. And today we're in Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. It records a series of miracles. First, a, a catch of fish that is miraculous. And then there is uh, the healing of two different people. First, a leper, and then a paralyzed man. So that's our focus this morning, is that particular story. And Luke sets the scene writing this. He says, One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They'd come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. It's interesting that Luke includes that detail. Because we know that power is there all the time, so we don't know if he's trying to say this was a particular season where Jesus was doing lots of healings, perhaps. But he reminds us that, that as Jesus is teaching... He has power to heal. And those two ideas go together closely in the ministry of Jesus. His teaching ministry is right there alongside his healing ministry. And the healing ministry of Jesus is for several things. First of all, it reminds us that God cares about the whole person and and that God has the power to heal us physically. But it also reminds us of the great truth, which is that the, the, the kingdom of God is the big idea of Jesus' teaching. Right? That was his, his primary thing that he was trying to get people to understand was that the kingdom of God was breaking into time and space. He himself illustrated that principle. Heaven has come to earth. Hello, y'all. Wake up. Heaven has come to earth. This is exciting good news. And he demonstrated the inbreaking of this kingdom that we get to experience here partially before heaven. He, he illustrates this through doing healing miracles. To show that this, this power is there and that God is alive and is at work. And so people have been bringing the sick to Jesus before this point, but this is the first situation that Luke narrates more fully because I think the uniqueness of it. If you can imagine years after these events happen, the disciples are getting together and they're telling stories. Remember that time Jesus did this or that? And they're, they're writing these Gospels years after these events have transpired. And I'm, I'm just imagining as they're trying to decide 
how to characterize all that happened in short spaces, they were kind of thinking through, okay, what were, what were some of the coolest moments? And I imagine this one, this one came up because several gospel writers include story kind of like this. And they're thinking, hey, you remember that time we were in that crowded house? That was a nice house. And there were, there were lots of, of the Pharisees there and they're, they're all tense, right? Because they don't, they're already like, don't like Jesus and they're wondering what he's doing and what he's up to. And we were kind of standing around the perimeter there and Jesus is, is in the midst of the crowd. And we start seeing dust start coming out of the ceiling. You remember that? That was crazy. And then all of a sudden a, a hole. I mean, wouldn't that be cool if we were just right in the middle of church and a hole just opened up? And this, and, and, and this man just comes out of the ceiling. And all that Jesus does. So let's, let's, let's get into this story. I'm just imagining how amazing it would have been to be there. So verse 18, it says, Some men came carrying a paralyzed man. He was on a mat and they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. But they couldn't find a way to do this because of the crowd. There were so many people, they can't get him close to Jesus. And so many first century homes, most of them would have been constructed with a flat roof right, of tiles made of, of uh, concrete or clay, or not concrete, but stone or clay. And they would have been able to remove those. So they didn't destroy the house. They were able to move these stone tiles. And uh, there often would have been a ladder or some kind of stairs created where you could go up on the rooftop. It would have been a nice place to catch some uh, fresh air, do some tasks that maybe you didn't have room to do in the house. So these men get resourceful. And they take the man up on the roof, they open some of these ceiling tiles. And I love this detail. Luke says they put him right in front of Jesus. They just drop him right in the middle of the action. Completely disrupting the flow of this teaching time. And these men did this because they were desperate. They were desperate to get their friend to Jesus because they had faith that Jesus could change this man's life. They had faith, and faith generates a desperation, an urgency, and a boldness. It kind of reminds me of some other stories of the urgency of people. I think of the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. She came up behind Jesus, and she touched the edge of his cloak. And she said to her, if I could only touch his cloak, I would be healed. And Jesus turned and saw her and said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that very moment. See, faith generates boldness and urgency. These men were do- willing to do whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. They were so convinced if they could just bring him in close proximity to Jesus, something would change in his life. And I think this is the convicting question for us. Is our faith characterized by boldness and urgency? Boldness and urgency. Do we have that kind of faith? Are we convinced that being introduced to Jesus has the power to change someone's life forever? So convinced that we would be willing to take risks, we would be willing to tear the roof off of situations in order to get people close to Jesus, perhaps at great cost and at great risk. Are we willing to do what it takes to bring them to him? And here's the simple principle. When we're burdened by the struggles of others we love and care about, the most important thing that we can do is bring them to Jesus. That's the most important thing. There's many things that that we think we can do. We try to help people. We try to solve their problems. 
And God uses us in tangible and practical ways, but we must never forget that the people that we love and care about and the burdens that we have for them and wanting things to change in their life, the most important thing that we can do simply is bring them to Jesus. Do we believe that? And there's a lot of ways that we can do that. The first one is through praying. We can always do this. And sometimes there's situations where I hear people express the sentiment, and I get it. But, you know, I wish there was more that I could do, but the only thing that I can do is pray. As if that's sort of some kind of last option. Like, what I really want to do is actually help them, but I can't do that, so I'll at least pray for them. But no, praying is our first option. It's the thing that we can always do. In fact, we can pray for people in our life who don't know that we're praying for them. Or maybe who don't even believe in prayer or that prayer works. You know what? Our prayers to God still work even when we're praying for God to move in someone's life that doesn't believe in prayer. They don't have to believe that it works for it to work. We can always pray for people. It's one way that we can bring them to Jesus. We can invite. We can invite them into our lives, invite them into community, invite them to church as a way to bring them into environments where they can come to know the love of Jesus what it means to be a part of his body. We can share with them. We can share with them the good news of what Jesus has done. We can share with them our story of the way that God has worked in our lives. Or we can share good books that point them to Jesus, good content. There are lots of ways that we can share. And finally, we can serve them. We can be the hands and feet of Jesus. We can be the voice of Jesus. It's a way that we can bring people to Jesus is going out as his hands and feet and loving them and serving them. And it's a very humbling thing to bring people before Jesus. This is not a place for spiritual pride. We don't want to be like the man in the Bible, you know, who comes before God and says, God, I thank you that I'm not like this person over here that's got real issues. No. No, it's a humbling thing to bring someone before God in prayer. And we must remember that we also were brought before God in the same situation as this man who was paralyzed. In effect, we were all, before we were in Christ, we were spiritually dead. There were others that brought us before Jesus. And and in fact, ultimately, Jesus himself brought us on a stretcher before the Father to receive his grace and his mercy. We're all in the same condition. We're all brought before God, spiritually dead, with nothing to offer. Ephesians 2 says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And so as we steward this ministry of of bringing others before Jesus, of bringing their burdens before him, let's not do that out of a place of spiritual pride, but remember that all of us came before God. We were carried before the Father, unable to save ourselves. So in this story, they drop the man right in front of Jesus. And he does something unexpected. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. You see, Jesus saw first through to the man's real need. They they brought him thinking that he needed to be healed of being paralyzed. And he did. But first, Jesus saw the man's spiritual need. And I believe saw his faith. And the faith of his friends. And he addressed that need first. And sometimes the things that we're burdened for others and are so worried about, 
we have to be reminded that they're secondary to our greatest need, which is to be in relationship with Jesus. We bring people before Jesus thinking we know what they need, but we don't always. And what they need the most is they need the forgiveness and mercy and grace and love of God. Sometimes we're misguided in the things that we want and desire for people in our life. We have an inordinate desire for something that's not guaranteed. And therefore, we're devastated when it doesn't work out. Or we prioritize things of lesser importance and we lose focus on the greatest need. Jesus reminds us that our greatest need is to be in relationship with him, to receive his forgiveness and reconciliation. Now, this statement by Jesus, your sins are forgiven, it triggers the Pharisees. And they say, wait a second, if you'd healed the man, okay, we might have been bothered by that and the implications of that, but you said what you can't say, Jesus. And they ask this question, who is this fellow? I love that translation, fellow. Who is this guy? And it's actually the right question. That's the thing. Who is Jesus? That's the question, the fundamental question. But the way that they're asking it in this context is wrong. Their hearts are wrong. They're saying, who do you think you are? Now, to be fair, according to the law of their right, when they say, who can forgive sins but God alone? They, they were right in that, in their assessment of the situation. Wait a second. What do you think you're doing? What they couldn't see was the identity of Jesus, which he's going to reveal here as we keep moving forward. But we need to pay attention to this question. Who is this man, Jesus? That's the question. Christianity boils down to our answer to that question. Who is this man? Now, as Jesus often does, he doesn't respond to the question with a direct answer. Instead, he kind of offers a parable by way of a miracle. He forces these educated men to distinguish between what is easier to say And what is easier to do? In one sense, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven than to say, be healed, stand up and walk, right? Why is it easier to say the first one? Because no one can prove you're right or wrong, right? Your sins are forgiven. Okay, well, we don't know whether they are or they aren't. It's easier to say that. It's harder to say, stand up and walk, because then we know, right? It happens or it doesn't. But what Jesus is getting at in this, this, this question is that he's saying it's not about which one's harder to say. It's actually about which one is harder to do. Which is harder to do? Is it harder to actually forgive sins or to do a miracle? Now, from my perspective, they're both hard, right? But, but there are plenty of people in the Bible, apart from Jesus, who do miracles, it's one of the spiritual gifts listed in Corinthians. You may not be comfortable with that, right? But, but there are people that God gives the ability to do miracles. But there's really only one who can truly forgive sins. So it's the harder thing to do. That's why Jesus starts there. He does that first. He forgives the man and then he also heals him. And then he proves his authority by following through with the healing. He pushes the question back on the religious leaders, forcing them to wrestle with this question. Is Jesus the Son of Man? This is a title that goes all the way back to the Old Testament and emphasizes the deity of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, look, I am this figure that you have been waiting for, and I have the authority to do these things, not just to do healings, but to do the even greater inner healing. So he proves his ability to forgive by following through 
with the miracle. So here's the question for all of us. It's the question. What are you going to do with Jesus? How do you respond? Do you reject him? Do you ignore him? Do you minimize him? Do you admire him? Are you a secret admirer? Because Jesus never calls for any of that. He calls us to worship him. To see who he really is. To surrender all of our lives. To follow him. He calls us to faith. To believe that he is the way and the truth and the life. He calls us to repent. To turn from trying to do life on our own. To turn to him. And throughout the gospels, Jesus says and more powerfully does things that reveal his identity and reveal his authority. And when the people there encounter this, it says they were amazed and they gave praise to God. They say, to God be the glory. And I love this. It says, it says everyone was amazed. I mean, that included even some of the Pharisees. I don't know that all of them were saved on that day, but maybe some of them were. Their eyes were open to see And they said, we have seen remarkable things today. And they gave praise to God. I think this should be our response as well. When we understand who Jesus is. Now, as we think about this idea of carrying the weight and burdens of others, these men, they had a burden for this man, their paralyzed friend, and they brought him to Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. But I think scripture teaches a balance on this understanding. Because for some of us, we are weary and we are burdened, overburdened, and too tired because we have taken on others' concerns and issues to a level that is unhealthy. And, I, and let me show you the let me show you the balance here. There's a couple places in scripture that we see this, but I think the most clear comes in the application section of Paul's letter to the Galatian church. So consider this sort of a bonus add-on on this topic. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul writes this. He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Then he goes on to say, for each one should carry their own load. So which is it? Wait, are we supposed to help carry the burdens of others? But yet it also says each one is supposed to bear their own load. And again, there's a nuance between these two terms in the original language we have to understand. You see, burden meant a weight of personal and eternal significance. could refer to a character flaw, a struggle, a moral situation. And we're instructed to carry each other's burdens. There are burdens in life. But then Paul goes on to say, each one should bear his own load. This word load refers to an individual burden that is not transferable. So here's how I'll tease this out. Every one of us who is is able-bodied, able-minded, in most normal, ordinary circumstances, each human being has a load that they have to bear. We're not all given the same load. We don't all have the same assignments. Our load is not always the same in every season of life, but we all have a load of personal responsibility that God has given us, has placed us in a context And there are things that we are responsible for. We should not give that load away to others. At the same time, as part of the body of Christ, we are to carry each other's burdens. That's that's the overall 
just heavy weightiness of life that we all carry. We have a personal responsibility. We have a load that we should not give away. And yet we are to help each other carry our burdens. And let's don't forget, we have the promise of Jesus who says, I will enter the yoke with you. I will do the heavy lifting. I will walk beside you. I will guide you and I will never leave you. But I think we have to understand this nuance here. And partly where we're talking about the language that we come to use is boundaries. And I don't know if you've read any or done any work in this area, but if you haven't ever and you just begin to dive in it a little bit, it's very important. There was a book written in the early 90s by doctors uh, Henry Cloud and John Townsend called Boundaries. Uh, it's been rewritten different versions. If you've never read it before, I definitely encourage you to do it. Um, it's written from a Christian perspective. I don't think it's, it's not theologically driven, but it's definitely theologically informed. And I think it's super helpful. There are are a lot of other good resources in this area, but some of us, the burden that we bear is too heavy because we have taken on the load of other people in our lives that we were never meant to bear. We're designed to, to come alongside people to help them to carry the weightiness of life with them, but not to take their load off of them. We can do this in family contexts. We can even do it with friends. And there's a tension there. And I don't have time to unpack the whole thing for you in one sermon. But it's worth asking the question, is the weariness of the burden that I carry for others, is it too much? Have I taken on too much? Have I put the weight of the world on my shoulders? Have I taken and tried to take this load off of someone that's close to me? And, and not left them to have a personal responsibility in that. Because we were never made to bear all of the load of everyone in our life. So for some of us, it involves an unloading process. That doesn't mean you don't care. It doesn't mean you're unloving. But it means that you have taken on too much and you have enmeshed yourself too deeply with the people in your life. And I'll say this, if you feel like that might be you, you're not going to untangle that by yourself. You're going to need help. You're going to need mentors. You're going to need pastors. You're going to need counselors. You're going to need coaches. You just, you can't do that on your own. So if you feel like that is you, I encourage you, you need to reach out to others to help you to do that. For all of us, here's my big idea this morning, so we don't miss it. We bear a weightiness and a burden, not just for the things going on in our lives, but also the lives of other people around us. And the solution to that is that we need to bring ourselves first, but we also need to bring those other people to Jesus. Bring them before him in prayer. Bring them before him in Christian community, in context where we can help one another appropriately and all with the same idea of seeking Jesus because that's what we need. We need to be close to Jesus and all the people in your life, no matter what their situation is, first and foremost, among other things, they need a close, intimate relationship with Jesus. So let's pray for the people in our lives that God would do that, would draw them close, and to use us to help bring them to him. Will you join me as we pray together? Father, I thank you 
for your love and for your faithfulness. And I pray, God, as we go through this process of learning what it means to rest in you, God, that you will teach us, you will instruct us and guide us by your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray for those here this morning who are feeling a heavy burden because of hard things going on in the lives of those around them. God, I pray pray that you would help them to find rest in you, that you would give them the strength and the grace to appropriately help them bear the burdens of others. But God, you would also teach them that you are the one that holds all things together and that we would look to you in all of these things to trust in you more deeply, to increase our faith. Father, we give you praise. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.